You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biasa, your host, and along with our producer, Alex Diaz, we would like to welcome you to our show this morning. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Kathy. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Doing doing well. I just uh, celebrated a birthday not too long ago. <gasps> happy it was birthday. actually yesterday. Um, oh, happy uh, thank birthday. you so much. Thank you. Um, although, frankly, when this airs, I'll probably be a, a month or two older. Oh, that's all right. But, but it'll be a month or two from there. But anyways, yes, I had a, had a wonderful, wonderful day. It was obviously very different being that we are living in this time of COVID. Yep. But uh, I had a, a lot of interaction with my family and friends over, nice. over the phone and Zoom and such. And uh, I got a lovely gift of a home-cooked, uh, home-cooked meal from my aunt. She just uh, dropped by, provided me what feels like a meal for the next couple of days at this point. <laughs> That's nice. Uh, it's, it's really, really, it was really special. It came from the entire family. Um, and it was just uh, uh, nothing that I would ever, ever expect. Would, would ever expect. Uh, oh, that's lovely. You know, it, so. it, it's the way we have adapted and, you know, it will be a memorable birthday for you. When you look back on it, it will be, a, it, you know, it's doing these these things that are different and, and, and dicking and dodging and, and trying to figure out ways to celebrate. These, I think, I hope will be remembered as well yeah. as, you know, uh, there will be suffering, of course, that's come along with it. But, uh, you know, as a whole, I think people are just doing so well. And, you know, by the time we get out of this, there will be precious few, if any of us, except for the newborns, that will not have had a birthday going through COVID. So happy birthday, Alex. Thank you so much. Thank you. Happy birthday. Today's show is being taped, as Alex intimated too, so no opportunity for calling in, but please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at the Health Hub RMC on all of those locations, and please do feel free to email us at thh at radiomaria.ca. And also, please hit the subscribe button uh, to our podcast, The Health Hub. We are on iTunes, SoundCloud, all your favorite podcast platforms. Don't miss a single episode. You know, we just keep having wonderful, wonderful guests on, and it's just, you know, hitting that subscribe button just ensures you won't miss any of them. You can also find our podcast on the Radio Maria Canada website, which is radiomaria.ca, and on my website, which is kathybiasse.com. Today, we have uh, one of my favorites, Dr. Lloyd Setterer. He was on our show, Alex, I don't know if you remember, a while ago. It's, it's gosh, I don't know the actual timing of it. And we talked at that time about the opioid crisis. And today, we are doing a hard left from that. And we're talking about his new book called Ink Stain for Life. 
the title is awesome. And wait till you hear about uh, how he got onto it and how this book evolved. A wonderful interview with him. And he... Um, He's just a fantastic person, you know, just just a pleasure to know, a pleasure to talk to. And Dr. Lloyd Sederer, he is a psychiatrist and a public health doctor who was held among the most prestigious jobs in his field. Medical health director of a Harvard teaching hospital, mental health commissioner of NYC, chief medical officer for mental health for NYS, and medical editor for mental health for the Huffington Post. Dr. Setterer's last book was The Addiction Solution, Treating Our Dependence on Opioids and Other Drugs. He is an improbable life, which his new book reveals in stories from his youth, each with an essay about the relevance to our lives today. It's an amalgamation of 14 stories. And as it says here, it um, along with... Um, studies and, and essays about how they his stories are relevant to us today. Really a, a lovely piece of literature. I highly recommend that you um, that you take this one in. I just want to read a couple of the reviews that the book has had. Rarely do we get to peek into the childhood years of a person who later in life became a friend or a colleague. Here we have a tightly packed account of boyhood experiences that by some unforeseen but delightful happenstance shaped Lloyd Sederer's future as an eminent psychiatrist, public servant, author, and critic. You will find among these inspiring pages the stepping stories that led to his being a catalyst for a better world and also for many a damn good friend. And this is from Monsignor Donald Sicano, priest of the Archdiocese of New York. And one other one here that I'll read. There's so many, so I just, pick, I just picked and choosed a couple of them. Walking with Lloyd through the pages of Ink Stained for Life will make you laugh and think and cheer and deeply feel what gives meaning to life, a page-turner jaunt of a joy. And that is by Ron Suskind, Pulitzer Prize-winning author of A Hope in the Unseen, The One Percent Doctrine, and Life Animated. Many, many, many accolades for this book. And as I said if nothing else, he is a wonderful, wonderful human being. So everybody, please stay tuned for our great interview with Dr. Lloyd Sederer. We'll be back in a few minutes. Word of life, speak to my weary heart, strengthen my broken parts, lead me to your open Take me to a deeper 
Listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. As mentioned, no opportunity for calling in today, but please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at the Health Hub RMC on all three locations. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. You're a friend of the Health Hub. I'm delighted to be on your program again, Kathy, and uh, I love you know, your approach, what you're reaching people about in terms of, um, you know, the things that uh, make for a better, richer, more uh, life of contribution. Well, thank you. And your new book, and and we'll we'll talk about the book. Of course, it's it's inspiring, it's prolific, it's very different in its approach. I'm always amazed at at writers and how they are able to. I find that when I try and produce anything, I'm like three lines, and I felt that I've got everything out that I need to. How how do you become a writer? How do you become prolific in your thoughts? Well, E. L. Doctorow's said something some years ago about different kinds of writers, but I, I thought I would say it a little bit differently. Uh, was he made, uh, he compared writers to car drivers. And uh, he didn't say uh, this, uh, this is what I say, that there are two kinds of writers. There are, uh, there's the right, uh, uh, as there are two kinds of drivers. There's the driver who proceeds down the road on a dark night in the rain with the windshield wipers going uh, crazy and very, very prudently. That's one kind of writer. The other kind of writer is uh, someone who just bursts down that road, no lights on, no windshield wipers, uh, no, uh, and uh, somehow or other he gets there. 
Uh, and most people advocate being the first kind of writer, but I am not. Uh, I, uh, I just write. I, I don't know where I'm going. Um, and I write fast, uh, probably uh, precariously. And uh, that's in some ways one way to be prolific is, is to uh, not research something, mm-hmm. not um, outline it, uh, but rather to sit down and let your ideas come out. And uh, that's, uh, that's another way to write. And uh, that's, that's how I write. Well, there's so much research out there about how people gravitate to a true authentic story. And obviously, you didn't have to search for inspiration because this is a memoir. And it's it's. I want. I want you to explain your approach to writing about your past. Why you did. I mean, a lot of people write because they've had an horrific experience, or they've had a shift in life that has brought them to an awareness. But this isn't your case, is it? No. Um, I started writing uh, when I was a resident in uh, psychiatry, and. Um, over the years, I, I wrote a lot of scientific articles. I, wrote, I published seven books, scientific books. Um, and then about 10, 12 years ago, working for government uh, then uh, for almost a decade, I thought, how many people are reading what I'm writing? Uh, what value am I uh, giving people? Uh, and I then just switched into writing uh, for a general lay audience. And uh, I was hooked on it in uh, no time. And this book that just came out is my sixth book for the uh, general audience. And and I switched in part because in government, um, uh, advocacy counts tremendously. It, it is the voters, it is the people uh, uh, in, uh, you know, who influence the decision makers because they're voters. And they don't read these scientific publications, but they do read general nonfiction articles, uh, podcasts like yours, um, uh, books, nonfiction books, and I started to try to uh, build advocacy, particularly for mental health and the addictions, uh, by writing about them uh, for a general audience. And I got hooked in very quickly. And uh, I just uh, kept going. And I've written countless articles. I was brought on as the medical editor uh, for mental health for the Huffington Post early on. I did that for seven years and published a lot there. And uh, for me, it's a type of uh, oxygen. I, it, it makes me uh, feel good um, to write. I don't suffer from it. If you suffer from writing, don't, uh, don't, don't kill yourself doing it. Uh, but, but this is what I, I like to do. And the feedback that you get is often incredibly thoughtful and useful uh, and uh, spirits you on to do more. Tell us about the book, because I think I want, I think this is how I want this to structure. I want to find out, I want you to tell us about the book and then let's talk about who it's touched. So for listeners who have, have not heard of the book, let's start from the title and right on out. 
Okay, so uh, here is the book. It is called uh, Ink Stained for Life. And in... Uh, and your picture's on the front as a young boy. It's my wife's favorite picture of me uh, um, as a boy. Um, That's great. Um, I admit that she likes that it appears mischievous. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, about uh, 10 years ago, I had been writing for a while uh, for the journal Late Public, and I decided to uh, attend a writing workshop, uh, which was very hard to get into. It was at the New School. It had moved there from uh, Columbia, uh, led by a just legendary uh, writer and journalist named Bill Zinser. And uh, he was a war correspondent. Uh, he was a culture editor uh, for the Herald Tribune, and he was an opinion ed editor. He wrote an extraordinary amount of nonfiction. And, uh, but his most uh, famous books, the one that has sold millions of copies, is called Writing Well. And he had this workshop, and uh, I got in, and there were about, uh, it was an evening called 25 or so others, um, very disparate uh, group of people, adults. And at, in the workshop, it was a workshop, we were asked to write something, anything we wanted, about 750 words, and then read it aloud to the uh, to the rest of the uh, participants and him. And I wrote this short story memoir, uh, which uh, was called Ink Stained for Life, and it is the first chapter, the title chapter of the book. And it was about my experience as an eight-year-old boy being Shanghaied, in my own opinion, uh, to work in my family business, my, my father and mother's store. And I wrote it, and I read it at the class. The class seemed very engaged. And Zinser said, it's perfect. I've never heard him say anything like that. And so emboldened by that, I sent it into the New York Times uh, for as a submission. And the next day, I got a note back saying, thank you very much. We want to publish this. And they published it right away. And it was an op-ed, I think on a Saturday, in a Saturday paper, New York Times. That was like a complete uh, drug effect on me. But I didn't write a second story of the 14 and then the essays, I'll explain that, until eight years later, a couple of years ago. And uh, Zinser had died a year or two ago, and I was uh, listening uh, to him on a CD because he made a, a few very short CDs about writing well and memoir. And I was listening to the memoir part on this drive from Albany to New York City. Albany is where the state capital is. And I just had to pick it up where I left off. I, it was just uh, an inspiration. 
And that night I wrote a story and the next night I wrote a story and every night I wrote a story until I had 14 stories. 13 were new, I had the old one. And um, then I sent it in to my uh, publisher because I had a two book deal uh, with my last book uh, and a very accomplished, famous uh, editor, uh, Scribner, uh, Simon & Schuster. And um, she asked me, how many words? And I said, 19,000. And she said, uh, 19,000? Come back with 19,000 words after you win a Pulitzer Prize. And she wasn't kidding, because uh, I, I, I shopped it around to others. And basically, the book publishing industry is hurting terribly financial problems. Problems And they can't sell a tiny book unless it's from a very famous person uh, at 19, 20,000, where they can't sell it for 26 or $27, which is what they need to do. So I wasn't happy about that. I was disappointed, a little mad. Uh, but then a few days later, it dawned on me, how could I make the book longer and better? And then I thought, well, I should just pair each story with an essay, an essay that builds on the theme of the story that connects it to our lives in 2020. And the stories were like that. They were about work, about family businesses, about families, about uh, illegal sale of firecrackers, which I did as a, uh, um, as a boy, about intelligence, about rich people, about Jewish people. So I could just then continue on, but uh, not as memoir, but as essay and build on each story. And then I had 58,000 words and I could get published. That's amazing. Have you ever seen a format like that before? Yes. Well, you have. Yes. Um, in, uh, I think it was the 50s or 60s, there was a, a psychiatrist, psychoanalyst in San Francisco named Alan Wheelis. And uh, he didn't do it in the same kind of way, but he would tell a story, usually about him or his family. And then he would reflect in a way uh, uh, upon uh, what this meant and why. And I I, he, was a, he wrote about it, uh, 10 or 12 books. That, well, one, only one was like that. Well, this and, allows you to get the, your, your, uh, the psychiatry background in there, right? This is, this is it, it, it brings your life together and then allows you to you do your profession. It's kind of a, a beautiful thing come together for you. Well, thank you. Uh, um, because the essays um, build, build on the story by, uh, in psychological ways, in uh, social or sociological ways, on uh, neuroscience. Um, and uh, those are things I have learned about. Mm -hmm. So I could write essays that would help to understand uh, uh, work or intelligence or uh, rich people and uh, that, that made it even more pleasurable because I was drawing on a bank of knowledge I had. And some people have said to me, that's what makes the book really different is because they have a story that's 
you know, resonates with them. But then they get an essay from which they learn about how the brain works or how trauma is incorporated into the psychology of somebody and on and on. Are you analyzing yourself? I've had enough of that. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't mean that. I was in psychoanalysis, you know, the the on the couch type, the Freudian type for six years, four times a week. And uh, I've had enough of that. So you're able to take your stories and write this essay so it's applicable for those that are reading. I hope so. I've gotten that feedback from quite a few people that because even when I write uh, about science, I write it in a way I've learned to write it uh, in a way that is everyday English, as if I was as we are talking today uh, or imagine sitting across the table from somebody, you know, or neighbor or relative having a cup of coffee and talking about how to understand this or that. Well, that's what you do in your practice, right? You're trying to analyze people and then make it everyday uh, a practice that they can, or, or ideas or whatever it is that you're telling them that they can integrate into everyday life. So this is like an extension of what you're doing in practice. Yes. And um, the, uh, uh, I guess uh, it was about eight or nine years ago, I was asked to do a workshop uh, uh, on writing, medical writing for the lay public at Columbia. And uh, with another prof there, um, who is a training director, uh, we started this. Uh, and I totally uh, mimicked uh, Zinsser's approach of it's a workshop. You have to write and you have to read, and, but you'll get the feedback, uh, tr- trustworthy feedback, uh, no, no criticizing, uh, just be helpful. And we began that uh, 17 semesters ago. And every semester, we've been oversubscribed. This semester, we have 30 people. I mean, these are residents, fellows, faculty, scientists, and uh, it's my favorite activity uh, every month. Well, you know, so many people want to understand what's going on, and they don't want to go through the scientific literature, and they want to have – it's one thing to have it sort of – put in plain English, but they also want to have a trustworthy person behind it. You know, trying they're, they're legitimately writing what's being said in the paper. And I find that in this day and age, and that's why your book, although it's written about your life, it is so appropriate for what people need today. When we're talking about people trying to wade through uh, what is and what is not, we need a clear cut line. And I think the way you're putting your book together is brilliant in that respect. Well, that's very kind of you. Um, the, uh, in a, of course, it's about me, but it is about the arc of all of our lives. Um, that uh, it's an improbable story that, um, you know, this eight-year-old kid uh, who uh, put together newspapers and swept the floors and stuff like that, Uh, became the person I am today. And I've had some extraordinary jobs, mental health commissioner in New York City, medical director of Harvard Teaching uh, uh, Hospital, uh, statewide medical director in New York. I mean, these are big jobs, Mm -hmm. and I'm very proud of them, but 
how did I get there? Um, and uh, as, uh, it was improbable, as it is for most of us. So if people are reading this, I want them to also take the message that um, you may not think um, uh, that you're going to get here or there or do this type of work. Uh, it's improbable, but improbable doesn't mean impossible. Excellent. We're going to take a quick, a quick break here. We're going to come back and talk with Dr. Sederer uh, further after the break. So hold on, everybody. Radio Maria Canada, a Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, email thh at radiomaria.ca. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, 
Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We are having a wonderful conversation with Dr. Lloyd Sederer, author, author of his new book, Ink Stained for Life. It's a wonderful title. Um, I want to, yeah, we could talk about where you got the genesis of this title, but first of all, before we get carried away, I want to ask you, because it's something that interests me, what are your favorite stories or story that you've written about? Uh, in the book, uh, there are two stories. There is the title story, uh, Ink Stained for Life, which was published in the Times. And then there is the last story, and the title of which is Chickens, Hedges, and Public Service. <laughs> you know what they say about a good title, right? I mean, once you have a good title, the rest is easy. <laughs> <laughs> That's my experience, really. Or, or the first line, or the title, or both is, is ideal. And so that's such a, such a skill. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. I'm always amazed. I, I like that one uh, because it, it goes from A to Z in a way. When, also, when I was a boy, and I tell this story, um, my parents would uh, take my sister and me to uh, a cottage on uh, my mother's sister's farm um, in, uh, uh, in upstate New York in the uh, Catskills. And my uncle was an extraordinary man. Um, you know, he was uh, uneducated, but he, he, was, um, he was a Navy pilot in the Second World War. He taught uh, flying to Navy pilots. Um, and, uh, and then he, uh, the war was over, and he opened up a, uh, a, car, a car repair and painting shop in Queens. And uh, but then he decided that he wanted to have a farm. And this is a guy who had never you know, lived out of the city. And he bought uh, a farm in uh, yeah, upstate New York. And uh, the farm had, uh, I don't know, about a thousand chickens and in two side by side coops. And the chicken's job was to lay eggs, and uh, the, the girls got to uh, candle the eggs to see if they were inseminated or not and to package them. Um, and uh, the boys, principally uh, two of us, my cousin and uh, me, my cousin Steve, we were old enough, like maybe 10 or something, to be put to work. And we were put to work all over the place and one of our principal jobs was to clean the chicken coops. And, to, and the chickens were on wire, like 500 chickens on wire, so that their um, uh, poop, if you will, um, fell down the wire into a, an area a few three feet high or so below that had to be repeatedly emptied. So the chickens didn't wind up in their own debris. Um, and so uh, that was one of our jobs, was cleaning the chicken coops. And uh, it was miserable. And also, as was the hedges, cutting the hedges, which were like 150 feet long on each side with no power to. So, uh, but the, what that did for me, in a way, was further etch in me a work ethic 
Um, and uh, the need to work in, in a paradoxical way. And, uh, and it prepared me for government because I made an analogy there that um, in this story that public service working for government as I have um, is a little bit like uh, cleaning the chicken coops. <laughs> And uh, if you so want, many ways you can go with that, right? <laughs> yes. And if you want to know how I went, then read the story. Yeah, exactly. Excellent. Excellent. How do you end a memoir? How do you decide that this is the last piece I'm adding to the story? Well, I, uh, I mean, I often uh, provide some concluding thoughts uh, at the end, which is uh, meant to be more uh, reflective of today and what we're going through. Um, but w- when I got to the 14th, 14th story, um, I just, that was it. I was done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had, I had no sense that I had these tales, these experiences in me until I just sat down and wrote. And then they came out like opening Pandora's box. And, um, and then they came out sequentially, one after the other. And then at 14, I just felt like, this is it. This is, this is, this does the job. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, uh, it's very interesting how you would just, you know, because there's still so much more to write. Still yes. so much more to write in your story. Um, the, the idea of spirituality. I, I will mention, I, we talked about this. Uh, my, I'm working on my next book, but and it will also be a type of uh, memoir and um, business story, uh, a more public-facing uh, time in my life, not immediately after 17. And mm-hmm. uh, I've been come hooked on on how memoir or how our experience and uh, portraying that uh, and then connecting it to the work uh, is, it's just, uh, um, I'm hooked on that. Mm-hmm. And it's so relatable. It's so relatable. There's a, um, you talk about overarching um, connection and part of, of that arch, part of that connection with you as a spirituality. And how does that come out in your book? Inferentially, I I, uh, I don't take it on as a specific topic I have in in my other blogs and essays, but um, I believe uh, that uh, it is one of the most powerful elements that we can have. And spirituality, uh, faith, um, it's it's faith, and faith is what uh, enables us to uh, endure all of the kinds of bumps and, and bruises that we're going to get, t- some really tough. Uh, and uh, how do you get through that? What, where does the will come, the belief that uh, this will um, change, that, uh, that you will come out of this maybe even better? And I think that's what faith is about. And it's not about an organized religion. It may well be. Uh, but faith also is a sense that um, you have a purpose in life, that, um, that you're part of a larger whole, that there are much greater 
forces at work than you can possibly imagine. Uh, that's faith to me, and that's helped me get through uh, some tough times. I'm interested to know if your faith was solidified or if you, if you found more of it as you were writing. Sometimes I think when you, you, um, you look back upon things or you're retrospective, faith may be a, a spirituality, might have been an underlying current, but when you're writing about it, it may have fostered itself more or risen to the top more than you might have thought it had meant to you. Yes, yeah, so that's, to me, the process of writing is discovery. But I have to say that uh, I was principally moved in this direction uh, when I met and married my wife uh, 17, 18 years ago, who is a woman of faith, a practicing Catholic, and uh, extraordinary, accomplished woman. But I saw what faith uh, could be. And I said, boy, I want more of that. So was it then was your faith strong as as you were growing up or did you was this not something that you actually identified with? I don't think I had a clue about it, even though I was a Jewish kid who was bar mitzvahed. Um, It didn't uh, it didn't take then. uh, I did manage to you know, get through a number of bumps uh, at that time. But um, I didn't even know that I had this belief in me until I was probably in my 20s. And and then uh, it just uh, magnified substantially uh, uh, with uh, in this marriage with my wife. How long was the process to write the book? The uh, 14 stories... Minus the one. We know the one, the first one. Yeah, I wrote that, you know, in a day. 30 (laughs) minutes? Yeah, not 30. No, maybe an hour. Um, And then I wrote the others um, uh, every night. So in in 13 more days, I had all the stories. You finished the book in 13 days? No, I finished the memoirs. Stories, the story, 19,000 words. And then it took me a year uh, to write the essays. Uh, and uh, because they were different and um, they meant my thinking about um, what I was talking about and, uh, and trying to uh, appreciate it in these different ways, human nature, psychology, um, social circumstances, being poor, or being uh, of uh, color. Um, these are very powerful trauma in childhood. And and neuroscience, how does the brain work? How does the brain mature? How does the brain change? It's plastic. Uh, We know now that we're not fixed in our brain like we used to think that our brains are plastic. They change with the circumstances. And uh, that that took a while because that um, I knew the material, but I had to uh, spend more time thinking about how I was going to say it. I knew what I wanted to say. It just took longer. Plus, um, you know, I have too much work to do. So it's not like I'm a a day writer, you know, nights and weekends and stuff is when I can write. Did you try and create an underlying theme with all the essays or is each completely unique to the story that was just told? So each is quite different, uh, but they all are 
true moments to the best of my recollection memory uh, in my life from the time I was eight years old till 17. So, uh, you know, memory is faulty. We know that it changes, things get converged, uh, but it is the only truth that we have. And I think these are pretty close because uh, they were a memorable moments in themselves. And memory is uh, encoded uh, when something is emotional in our lives. To end the memoir, memoirs where you did, do you feel, as you look back, that this was absolutely the most impactful phase of your life? No. 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 So there's a lot more to be written. That's what the next era, uh, Mm -hmm. some years later, will be about. It's very interesting. The book has been released, correct? Yes. And uh, where can people find the book? You can find it at your local bookstores, and you can find it on Amazon. Excellent. And you've had a a number of... um, wonderful reviews that we've read out. So I congratulate you. It's, it's, it was a pleasure to have you on the show before and even more of a pleasure as I've gotten to know you to have you on the show now. And I'm, I'm amazed at what you do. I'm amazed um, how you can share such intimate intimacy with the world. It takes a very special person to lay yourself out on the line like that. So I do thank you so much for joining us today. It's been, it's been a, my greatest pleasure. You're very kind, and I feel privileged to be on your show and have this opportunity for us to talk. It's, it's a very special privilege, Kathy. Thank you. Well, my pleasure, and we will definitely have you on again. We've already talked about a, a subject that is near and dear to me. So, I, again, thank you so much. And everybody, as, as mentioned, um, you tell everybody, the, uh, the publisher, the name of it. Let's say it one more time so everyone knows it as the last piece before we end off. Here it is, Ink Stained for Life, easy cover to recognize, and the publisher is Austin McCauley. Wonderful. Everybody, that is Dr. Lloyd Setterer, wonderful guest, Something, someone I'm, I'm almost privileged to call my friend. Um, we've only met virtually, but thank you for joining us. And everybody, we will talk to you next week on The Health Hub. Hosted by Kathy Biasi here on Radio Maria Canada.